0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Hello again, I'm Kandu Kutik and you're listening to the Monday Morning Break on Monday, 6th November. Today, my guest is an English language teacher and teacher trainer based in Vietnam and we'll be talking about large classes. Stay with us for some tips and tricks with large language classes. So welcome, everybody. As I mentioned in my introduction, I'm going to be talking with my guests today about large language classes. So first question though, is how large is a large class? Depending on where you work, some teachers will think, you know, a class of 20, is the perfect size, and there will be teachers who think, well, 20 to them is a large class. And then you have those who teach in EFL, English as a Foreign Language, in adult education, and they have classes. If they do group classes, their classes are, let's say, no bigger than six or seven students. So anything upwards of eight, you know, whether they have nine, 10, 15 students, that for them is a large class. I teach at a university here in Germany and 30 is for me a large class, yet I have colleagues who have an average class size of 15 and um, that for them is a large class. So, and also numbers aside, I mean, we can debate all day really about you know, how large is large and, and how large is acceptable. And then of course, there's all the um, theory and the research from second language acquisition and from teaching and learning um, that says that learners learn better when they've got an optimum class size, though I've not actually quite read anywhere what the optimum class size is. Now that aside, the other question is what kind of activities work in large classes what kind of activities do not work in large classes i mean the, i for me as a teacher the best large class i could have is those um that are that, are, that have an even number of students and the reason for that is that I can, with an even number of students, put the students into pairs for pair work and with an odd number of students, so I can't put them in pairs, right? I can't put them in pairs. And then I have to be careful to make sure, like if I wanted to do groups, then, you know, certain number of students, certain group sizes lend themselves better to dividing the class into threes or into fours and then of course there'll be teachers who say anything that's more than a group of four is not effective for group work um i also know teachers who just don't like teaching large classes because they find them difficult to manage they're anxious about getting through their material i mean the more students you have, maybe, you know, you need to cut down on on what you've put on your lesson plan. Um, Depending on the age of your learners, the larger your class, maybe the more rowdy your students get, or you could also have two totally different groups of students in the one same class, you have the noisy ones, and then you have the ones who are just happy to sit at the back and, you know, disappear into the woodwork. So to talk about this and many other issues related to large classes and the teaching of large classes, I have with me on the show, Amir. Amir Ismaili is a colleague that I've known for quite a while. He's based in Vietnam and has been teaching for quite some time. And um, I believe Amir um, is here. I Yes, Amir, I can see you. And all I need you to do is to look for the call in button. Yes, you have found that. And Amir is just going to join us right now. Amir, if you could say something so that we know that you're online with us. Hi, Kandy, can you hear me? I can hear you very faintly, Amir. I think um, it would be great if you could turn up your volume. The, the sound quality is really good, but I can barely hear you.
2: Okay, Uh, I think the volume is to the max. Maybe if I hold the microphone closer to the mouth. Can you hear me better? Yeah.
1: Okay, but you can hear me all right, I believe.
2: I hear you so well.
1: Okay, Amir, this is such an honor um, for me to have you here on the show, um, talking with you teacher to teacher. But before we get into the nitty gritty about large classes, could you please Tell us something about yourself. How, for me, I want to know how did you get into teaching? How long have you been doing this? And what do you enjoy the most about teaching EFL and where you are?
2: Okay. So, first off, thank you very much, Kanduk, for having me. I'm very delighted to be here and especially having this talk with you. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Uh, I've been teaching English for about 13 years now. The first uh, couple of years have been part-time and my journey started as a teacher to adults of low level of English general English as a part-time teacher in Iran and after a few years I fell in love with the career and the industry so I quit my full-time job which was in business and uh, easy money (laughs) called me crazy when I uh, quit and I started uh, working as a full-time teacher. And believe it or not, when I first started working as a full-time teacher in Iran, the monthly salary that I received was probably equal to the commute and the money that I paid to just get to the institution and the classes and everything, but I didn't mind that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started working as a full-time teacher uh uh just working with adults general english for uh three four years after that i uh, moved to exam classes in particular ielts Mm -hmm. and i started working with idp uh, in iran uh, specializing in ielts classes and courses then uh, i taught ielts again just to adults for a couple years then i started uh, taking up teacher training courses I did some teacher uh, training courses for IELTS, for general English, for everything uh, continuously. And then I became a supervisor there and I uh, had the chance to work with IELTS teachers. Then after about eight, nine years, I had an offer to work in Vietnam
1: oh that's somewhere totally different the other side of the world for you
2: absolutely different but what makes it more exciting and very very diverse is the new context that i was going to teach as well as the new learners so <laughs> i was supposed to teach uh, primary students and when i came here i realized that i am also going to work with kindergarteners, so preschool students uh children and teenagers and I had no experience whatsoever for this age group and I was terrified at the beginning. Uh, So yeah, I moved to Vietnam and I uh, embraced the situation as a positive opportunity. So I started watching thousands of YouTube videos for uh, teaching children and teenagers and kindergarteners. And little by little, I found my feet. And uh, I believe uh, today, if you ask me that whether I'm going to uh, teach children uh, for the rest of my career, I would say that uh, I probably would consider teaching children uh, a necessary part of my future career. Maybe not as much as I do today, but Mm I really love working with them and enjoy it.
1: you've got to have, I think, um, teaching young learners, um, English as a foreign language, I think you've got to have um, a certain personality. I really admire what you do. Um, I teach university students, I've only taught university students in the last 15 years of my career. And most of my students go on to become school teachers, I've got two different cohorts every year I have the ones who go on to teach English as a foreign language in primary schools. And then I have the ones who go on to secondary schools. And I always say to them, I say, I really admire you because, you know, going into school teaching, teaching that age group is not something that, that I can do. And, and they're just shocked. They're, they're really shocked because, you know, they, They cannot imagine that somebody who's teaching them how to teach kids um, would actually admit that, you know, they couldn't do it themselves. Um, Wow, so you've got um, quite the whole range of courses similar to what I've done. You know, I've done adults, I've done exam courses, and at some point we find our niche. Well, today we're going to be talking, right, as um, we discussed In our conversations, um, we'd like to talk about teaching large classes. I think that's something we have. um, It's a situation that we have in many language schools. It's a situation that many people in teaching, in many teachers teaching in compulsory education have. And I think you are the best placed person to discuss this with me. But first,
3: just finance foundation proudly sponsors teachers talk radio for talk money week join us from saturday the 4th of november for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom tune in be inspired and empower the future generation Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk.
4: Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more
5: this show is brought to you in partnership with john Cat educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world have you checked out their latest releases Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohncatBookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
6: The COVID inquiry caused shockwaves for government this week as it featured comments from a variety of civil servants and advisers to ministers and the then PM Boris Johnson. Language used by Dominic Cummings in WhatsApp messages caused consternation for many, including the BBC live feed, as apologies were repeatedly issued for some choice phrases. However, Schools Week have featured the reactions of many education leaders to news that the then Education Secretary, Sir Gavin Williamson, was opposed to face masks in school because he didn't want to surrender to unions. Only after mounting pressure were masks recommended for staff and pupils when they returned to school. School leaders who lost members of their staff have referred to delayed decisions and changing guidance as unforgivable. The inquiry also heard from Lee Kane, a former Number 10 Director of Communications, who revealed that the then PM Boris Johnson said we needed to draw a line in the sand on public spending commitments in relation to funding school meals for pupils not in school. Kane said this was a huge blunder and that the PM was told this was not the place to draw the line. Helen McNamara, a former Deputy Secretary of the Cabinet, also said there had been a lack of guidance for women who were or might be pregnant and that this was significant in education given the demographic of the workforce. Schools Week highlights data from the Office for National Statistics which shows 139 teaching and educational professionals aged 20 to 64 died from COVID-related illness between March and December 2020. The ONS stopped recording the data in January 2021 although Covid deaths were still widespread. Unions have reacted with anger at the reports that lives were likely put at risk because of decisions made by government. Kate Bell, Assistant General Secretary of the TUC union said, lives were put at risk because ministers were pursuing a petty political vendetta. The Guardian features a report that head teachers and researchers strongly recommend that parents and carers do their own research when choosing a school and avoid making judgments based on Ofsted reports. The article features a series of top tips from school leaders after another Guardian article stated that official inspection reports were not a trustworthy guide to school quality. The piece featured comments from former Conservative Education Secretary Justine Greening who said ministers should consult with parents over what they needed to know about schools. Other former Education Secretaries David Blunkett and Kenneth Baker said the whole inspection regime needed an overhaul. Former Ofsted leader Sir Michael Wilshaw also told MPs that he no longer supported the use of single phrase judgments, which Ofsted and the government have both defended as useful for parents. Lord Baker, Education Secretary under Margaret Thatcher, suggested schools be examined on their destination data, describing it as a key judgment for a school because it's important to know what happens to them next. Meanwhile, if you are considering a school now or in the future, the leader's top tip is to visit the school. The article also recommends speaking with parents and pupils, looking at published data, such as performance tables and attendance figures, although that data comes with the caution to consider the impact of COVID in recent years. The BBC reports that in Northern Ireland, the Department of Education has announced that there will be no extra money for teachers pay despite rises in England. Typically, the devolved administrations get additional money when a spending decision is made for England, known as the Barnet formula. But the 6.5% pay rise for teachers in England was funded from existing Westminster budgets. Therefore, there is no additional money for Stormont to help end the long-running stalemate over teachers' pay. Teachers in Northern Ireland have not had a pay increase for nearly three years. Many teachers in England, Scotland, and Wales now earn thousands of pounds more than their Northern Ireland counterparts. For example, from September, new teachers in England earn £30,000 a year. In Scotland, a probation year teacher earns more than £32,000, and new teachers in Wales just under £31,000. This compares to just over £24,000 a year for a newly qualified teacher in Northern Ireland. The DE in Northern Ireland said pay increases were simply unaffordable because there was no funding for the Northern Ireland executive to pay for it. Finally, the BBC also covered a speech by children's novelist Lucy Hawking at an independent Cambridge school. The writer is the daughter of physicist Stephen Hawking and she gave the speech entitled How to Make a Better World to 120 pupils at Sancton Wood School. The speech was given as the keynote address for the Thriving Minds symposium workshops, giving pupils an opportunity to meet experts in a range of fields. Ms Hawking writes science books for children and described her books as giving them a way into science and technology. The one-day event was held for 120 pupils in years 6 to 10 from schools across Cambridge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. So, Amir
2: yes, can you hear me? Ah,
1: I can hear you better now, um let's get straight down to our topic, and my first question for you is I'd like to start at the very beginning of your career. So when you were teaching in Iran, how many learners, how many adults did you have in a group on average?
7: Hmm.
2: All of the language centers that I've worked for uh, were private centers, so we didn't have many learners in one class it was an average of eight to 12 uh, learners for each class and uh, it would occasionally uh, go up to maybe 13 14 but never more than that
1: Mm. so I was right in my introduction before you joined us online, I actually said, I hypothesize, and I was thinking back to what other people had said to me, people who taught, who teach adult EFL learners, and they usually have in a group class, roughly between that, you know, um, the bottom end would be about six and maximum 15. And then for them, that's already large. And I'm going to assume when you went to Vietnam and you were teaching, young learners and teens, you had groups that were larger than that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The language center where I work today is called CB centers. And uh, this is also a private language center. But uh, the classes that we've got here are relatively larger than the one that I was used to in Iran. So here we've got classes that are on average, about uh, 18 to 30 students oh, wow. in each class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, But this is also not considered a large class compared to the classes that we teach in public schools, because in public schools, we've got classes with the students of like 45, <gasps> 50 students in each class. Yeah. <laughs> Which is in public schools. 4550
1: and 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 how would we do um, communicative (laughs) language teaching with kids of 45
2: right not not an easy feat, eat but not impossible either
1: okay okay not impossible (laughs) i like that i like that that sounds very positive um (laughs) my largest class ever i think was about 150 students but then again that I would not actually call that a language class. It was teaching them, it was at university, it was related to language, but it was actually a lecture. And I think that's different because you stand there and you go la-di-da-di-da, whatever it is you have to say, about whatever. Um, but at that same university, I had a language, I had other language classes where we had things like grammar or essay writing, academic writing. And there I used to have 60 students on average. Um, So I I see where you're coming from. It's not unheard of. Let's begin with some of the challenges. I mean, for you, let's say you coming first from Iran, right? What? And then you were you know put you i mean you went in with your heart and your mind open and you said i'm going to vietnam i'm going to do this and then wham bam from 8 to 12 per group oh you've got maybe double that
2: what
1: yeah. what did you think what did you feel
2: yeah uh, when i first arrived here kanduk uh, i was terrified because uh i didn't have any experience working with children and teenagers. Uh, So I started observing some of my colleagues and so many of the things that they uh, did in their classes didn't resonate with me because I had only taught exam classes, all of the people were adults, they were so serious, Mm -hmm. they were all so quiet and focused and everything. So I didn't see myself doing the things that they did, my colleagues. Mm-hmm. and playing the games and all of those because it was so strange to me <laughs> but uh as i said i started watching literally hundreds of hundreds of videos on youtube some of them really useful some of them not as good as uh they could have been and then gradually uh my classroom management and my lessons started to become better mm-hmm. uh, and i owe this to the reflection that I have been giving to each and every class as well as a student. Uh, since I started teaching, I'm not saying this to, to brag, <laughs> but <laughs> I think one of my uh, uh, positive characteristics in teaching is uh, that I really, really care so much about all of my students and mm-hmm. all of my classes. And that has helped me so much. Mm.
1: I like what you say there, and and I don't think it's a brag at all, Amir. I think I personally believe that um, you can only strive to do better. You you're only pushed or motivated to do better than the best, if you know, if possible at all, if you actually do care about the people you work with, whether it's young learners or you know, young people or even adult learners. It, it sh- I think teaching is one of those things where, true, you may have people and, and I know people who see teaching as a job where, you know, um, they've got a permanent full-time job, they're a civil servant, so they go in, in and out, day in, day out, you know, right. get their monthly salary and have no need to reflect on, you know, how their lessons went, or if they should make any changes to their teaching, just, you know, to keep on top of things. So, um, I I hear what you're saying there, that, that because you care, you're always looking to do better, you reflect. Um, and I, what I also gather from what you've just said is that you've got two, you've got experience with two different groups. So, of course, with adult learners you're not sitting there singing you know yep. london bridge is falling down <laughs> i i mean it, it would make for a good class to see you know a whole group of 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 business people going round the classroom going london bridge is falling down and trapping one of them um, in between and i'm sure it would <laughs> you know, loosen everybody up, but of course, yeah, different personalities, you can't expect that from them. Yeah. And then of course you've got the exam classes. Adult learners, I, I've I've learned and also my young people, if there's an exam at the end of the class, they're they're usually very goal oriented. So you've got Precisely. these teenagers and these children that you were confronted with. You you've done all these observations and then you thought oh no that's that's really not something for me and yet you went off and and i'm not going to advertise this um really wildly but you went off and and watch a whole ton of youtube videos yeah right okay so what are some things that you learned just if you could list a few things that that you know you watch and you thought okay i'm gonna try those your your first thoughts
2: right um First of all, the things that helped me to begin my classes with young learners was uh, games with flashcards. So I had never used flashcards in my life as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know any games uh, to play with flashcards. So I started with games with flashcards. I watched a lot of videos. I read uh, Carol Reed's uh, suggestions because Carol Reed is a uh, probably one of the uh, top-notch educators, especially in this realm. So I started uh, reading uh, her books with regard to young learners, the Mm -hmm. games, and some of her videos. So I began with games with flashcards. Mm. Um,
1: Amir, hang on, hang on a sec. Did you then buy flashcards or did you actually make them?
2: neither. Uh, (gasps) You stole them. (laughs) The school provided (laughs) all of the teachers with the flashcards. Oh, okay. But I wasn't sure what games to play with the students to keep their attention, to entertain Mm. them, but at the same time, to teach them the lesson so that it would be memorable and valuable. So I started with games with flashcards. And after that, I moved on. After a while that I had learned some games with flashcards, I I remember writing uh, the favorite games down in my notebook. I still have the notebook. But mm-hmm. after a while, uh, I committed them all to memory, so I didn't have to look at the notebook yep. to remember them. Then I moved on to the nuances of teaching younger learners, which is uh, aspects of inclusivity and diversity, mm-hmm. and uh, modification of lesson content, and children's mental well-being, and care, and all of those things. So I attended. As I have always been uh, many webinars uh, on these subjects and learned so many things from different people so I started to incorporate all of those lessons and ideas into my lessons sometimes the things that I started to experiment with did not uh, pan out as good as I had expected so right. again, that reflection part uh, came in I thought okay why did it go wrong and how can I tweak that for the next lesson to make it more productive
1: Well, mm. um did you ever then you know when you were in such a situation did you ever think like it didn't pan out because the students were not you know they weren't, weren't receptive or you know like you know pushing the blame on the students one would say a lot of teachers often when they think of, of something to do in class and then they bring it to class and it doesn't pan out and they get cross and they get angry at the students and the students get blamed for it or That's did an amazing you
2: amazing question so i know right <laughs> because uh you you just stole my thoughts because uh, up until a few years ago maybe three years ago this is exactly what i uh did at least in my mind if i didn't mm. complain uh, out loud yeah, I always tried to soothe myself, like, okay, no, it was that student, or it was this naughty boy that didn't let me play that game, and all of those. Right, games. but today, can Duke, I have learned that uh, nothing falls uh, on the part of the learners. Uh, and when I say nothing, there might be some exceptional situations, but nearly nothing is the problem with the students. A good teacher uh, and uh, Uh, a teacher uh, who is really uh, careful in their planning, who is skillful in their classroom management, tries to run the activities and the games and everything in a way that uh, everybody is involved. And even in the most rambunctious classes and unruly students would also, ultimately, Find it interesting and
1: uh and feel involved
2: and feel involved and uh, participate i was talking to one of my colleagues today sorry to, for rabbiting on i was talking go to ahead one go of my ahead colleagues today <laughs> uh, today was the fifth week that i was uh, that i taught a public school secondary school of students and i was telling my colleague that i was so happy at the end of the lesson today because in this class There are about 40 students, all of them grade seven. Mm -hmm. And today was the first session that about six, seven of the students who had been quite shy and uh, reserved and not really confident. They started raising their hands. They started taking part in the activities. And at the end of the lesson, I gave a small gift to all of those students. And they were shocked, like, wow, why would I?
7: (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: And because they are usually not appreciated compared to the stronger students and the bright kids, they are overshadowed by their Mm -hmm. strength. So it was so rewarding for me. I I couldn't contain myself out of joy. Uh, So yes, uh, I think uh, overall, the fact that... uh, Young learners, teachers need to consider a host of factors when they teach uh, is absolutely imperative.
1: Mm. So so to kind of sum that up, essentially what you're saying is that it's not enough. And, and I'm a strong believer of this also. No matter what age you teach, it's not enough to have the met- methodologies and the content knowledge, isn't it? I mean, you... No what we've learned in our teacher training isn't a case of one size fits all right and um even though you may have some ideas and some tips and tricks like you were saying with with the flashcards, i had um kahoot quizzes for example i've got kahoot quizzes and i've got other things and even though my learners in in terms of their ages every semester i get a new group of students they're the same age as the ones in the previous semester my group sizes are roughly between 28 30 to 32 um but what an activity that may have worked with one cohort in a previous semester does not you know would not necessarily mm work with with this current cohort i mean sometimes right sometimes in class when 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 things just fall flat i look at my students and i go oh come on why can't you do this you know the other group did it no problem um it's a bit unfair to say but but they all also know that i say that in jest i like i like what you said about you know write down what worked um i do that too and, um, what's also important, what you are saying is that with your learners, you, you want to give them something, it's not just going in and, and doing a song and a dance and looking at some picture cards, right. But, but what you want to do is to make sure that that learning is, is memorable and it's valuable and, and they, they go away with something. And, and that all takes skillful planning because you're looking, you know, at, at, the syllabus, for example, or the curriculum. And then you have to consider the learners that you've got, your your group sizes. So it goes down to, to everything, you know, can I do pair work in this class? Can I do, you know, what group sizes can I have? And and you need to take into account, you know, what happens if, you know, five of the kids don't show up? Oh, no, but I've planned for pairs and, and things like that. You talk about um, you mentioned briefly inclusivity, diversity. Let's talk about that. I think when we teach adult learners or smaller groups of anything up to eight, you, you have quite a good, good eye on your learners and, and you know, their personalities in a class of 30, let's take mine 30 and your maximum of, of 50, you're going to have so many different personalities what kind of personalities have you encountered?
2: Uh, well, I think it would be uh, difficult to pinpoint the uh, type of personality or label that precisely, but I think.
1: Uh, or behaviors, we can, shall we say.
2: Right, yeah. Uh, I would be overgeneralizing here, Can't do it but there mm-hmm. are uh, students who are confident and they are not shy to raise their hands and uh, speak up. There are some students who uh, would only do that after the stronger students uh, have raised their hands or have done something so that they then find the courage to do that. And there are some other students who very rarely would like to speak their mind or take part in activities. So these Mm -hmm. groups of uh, students in general uh, are in every classroom. What I have learned is that I would never push the third group of students to forcibly speak up, to say something, to come in front of the class and do an activity because I have seen that from some other colleagues to Mm -hmm. put some uh, more shy students on this, but they are all very well-intentioned, all of the colleagues, they're not doing to to harm the uh, student's character or anything. They are all very, very well-intentioned. uh, Think is that those uh, students I have come to learn uh, cannot benefit from such behavior unless they are ready so I right. never uh, do that instead I try to put them into groups mm. of three four based on the class size and based on their relationship with the people around them mm. then, okay uh, give them maybe some roles like the uh, more uh, shy student would be the secretary or would be the spokesperson of the group, uh, not the entire class. Or the stronger one would be the monitor, or things like that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and inclusivity, sorry. uh, uh, Go ahead. For inclusivity, uh, the thing is that uh, when I first started uh, teaching this age group, I was not trained properly. Uh, So I had to uh, go on YouTube, webinars, Books uh, uh, refer to books and everything to learn what to do uh, mm-hmm. for inclusivity. Uh, at first, when I again observed colleagues, I saw some very popular games which are uh, still in practice actively. But the problem is that those games uh, actually exclude uh, a large number of students and they do not get a chance to play the games because these games are only designed for very small classes of a maximum right students. So soon I ruled them out. And I, I, in my mind, devised games uh, with the same flashcards and the content and materials in which everybody has got a chance to uh, take part in activities. Yeah.
1: Mm. I think um, I'll come back to to the personalities in a minute. But before I forget, I I want to pick up on on what you said about not being training inclusivity, and I think that's quite common for many of us who enter um the english language teaching profession right teaching efl in various different parts of the world in language schools and you know um that's it's not part of of our teacher training it's what we've got um no matter what training path people have taken what certification courses that they've done it does focus really on methodologies and on the knowledge you know content knowledge and this is where I think our training is different from those who, who, who've who done things like qualified teacher status or like what my students are doing. My students have to take a, a, a module. They have to take an additional module on inclusivity and diversity in the classroom. Let's leave that there. I want to talk about um, the personalities that you've mentioned. And you say that you've observed uh, a, a lot of your learning and your professional development of, as a teacher comes not just from taking courses i i know you but now in this conversation you're saying you know you've you've observed a lot um you're very fortunate that that you've got colleagues who let you watch them sure. and you say that uh you have observed that you've got colleagues who you know pick out the shyest students and get them in front to contribute or to do something i think that's That's just something out of our teacher training book, isn't it? It's something out of a teacher training program that says, make the shy students speak, encourage the shy students to speak, and and, and getting them up to the front to speak isn't actually encouraging them, it's actually making them speak.
2: Right, right. Then they don't want to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think what we have to consider is the reasons why some students may may not want to speak you know, I mean, the reason for their shyness, is it possibly genuinely because they don't have an answer? Or they don't have anything to say about that particular topic? Or, you know, you have the other kind of learner who's just inherently afraid of making a mistake, right? And, and I think, I'm not sure if I'm right, but in an Asian culture, that they, 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 uh, there's a lot of value put on, you know, answering questions and answering them correctly right so it's it's a bit look it's a bit frowned upon if if you're going to answer a question in public and your answer is wrong am i right
2: yeah you're absolutely spot on can um uh, to to uh pick up on what you said earlier about uh student's not genuinely having an answer or not knowing what to do I think if that happens, the problem probably falls on the part of the teacher. So if we pose questions or uh, devise situations in which students uh, have difficulty expressing their ideas, I think part of it is our fault. So we need to uh, tweak the materials in a way that uh, everybody can uh understand what's going on, can understand the question, the content and everything. But on the other hand, yes, uh, especially in uh, this region, the culture and the context is in a way, students have been indoctrinated that if you do not know the answer, if you're not 100% sure of the answer, you better not say anything. Mm. (laughs) So uh, they have learned uh, to stay quiet because they don't want to lose face uh but i have been uh uh trying to uh show that uh, making mistakes is a natural a very natural part of any learning and without that uh learning would presumably not take place as uh, naturally or effectively as it would
1: yeah yeah and i suppose also that if if your learners don't make mistakes then oh don't respond because they're afraid of making mistakes. And mm. and probably if they were to respond, those mistakes would be there. But the fact that you don't see or hear those mistakes, you can't actually, you know, fill in the gaps in the knowledge, isn't it? Yes, if If you've exactly. got, yeah, if let's say you were teaching the present progressive to talk about events happening now, and you know you've got students in groups talking and then you wanted to get to get a couple of answers from students and you've got maybe a small group of 3 or 4 who who haven't quite got it and they know they haven't got it or they're not sure about the answer and they don't say anything and all you've got you know are the volunteers who who've understood that topic putting up their hands and and you've got all you know sentences like um amir is standing at the front sally is sitting by the window and all that then you think the whole class has got it Mm, mm, right it's it's something i i read in a book sorry it's something i read in a book it's called chasing the right answers and i think sometimes as teachers we do that because it's just so convenient Mm. so we're chasing the right answers but what we need to do I read in that book was that we need to look for learning. And, and we see that through the mistakes that, yeah, that our learners make.
2: And along uh, uh, those uh, beautiful uh, points, Candu, uh, the other thing that I have also learned and have practiced with all of my students, whether it is uh, IELTS candidates or young learners, is something that I learned from James Krivener saying not to rubber stamp, even the correct answers. So, mm chasing answers. Uh, uh, we, read
1: answers about... we read the same book. We read the same book that was oh, in yeah. it that that's in the Scrivener book. Yeah, he says don't chase don't don't chase
2: the right answers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when somebody says, uh, Yes, this is true. This is false. We should also ask the students, why is it true? Why is it false? Because sometimes mm. a students just a second guess it just they say something they have copied some answers from their peers. So when we always ask the students especially in our instructions that okay everybody for instance uh, read this passage or look at this grammar base piece and then say whether it is true or false and why then it actually engages them cognitively it also promotes their critical thinking so it brings about a host of benefits not only Mm. as scrivener says uh, rubber stamping like yes true no false and let's move on
1: yeah i do i do something similar to that amir um with my students i have a grammar class it's you know grammar for for english language teachers and and we work with a textbook and they get work to do at home and in class rather than me elicit answers from them to check that they've done their homework i put the answers up i i project them on the screen and what i used to observe was that students would look at the screen and then start erasing some of the answers and writing in you know, the corrections. And what I've done this semester now, I've changed my practice a little, I, I still project the answers onto the screen, but what I say to them is, before you write it down, I want you to consider and to talk to a partner and tell them, A, why you chose the answer you had already, originally chosen, and B, do you understand the correction? And then, you know, I get them to do that and and obviously this is where group dynamics come in, where they would probably talk about anything, but um, what I do then is after they've had time to check answers, compare and discuss with their partners is I ask them as a class, you know, I pick out some of the mistakes and it's what you say as a teacher, you would also know, right? with the learners that you're teaching, you know what your tip, their typical errors and mistakes are, and then you can right. pick up on that. Um, we're going to move on yeah. to some other personalities that I'd like you to talk about. Hmm. Right. Um, maybe you can think about this. I'd like to um, talk to you about the disruptive learner. Right. And the The one who's not just confident, but really the kind of know it all and therefore decides not to do anything. So we'll come back to that shortly.
3: Just Finance Foundation proudly sponsors Teachers Talk Radio for Talk Money Week. Join us from Saturday the 4th of November for a week of incredible guests and thought-provoking discussions on how teachers can talk about money in the classroom. Tune in, be inspired and empower the future generation. Teachers Talk Radio, sponsored by Just Finance Foundation, helping children manage money wisely. Visit our website for the schedule and details, justfinancefoundation.org.uk.
4: Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more.
5: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
1: So, the disruptive student, Amir, what counts for you as disruptive? Mm.
2: Disruptive students can do, uh, they come in all forms and shapes (laughs) and sizes (laughs) and (laughs) And colors. (laughs) True. Uh, Sometimes uh, you can see that uh, some students want to grab all the attention from the teacher. And uh, if you do not apportion the majority of the attention to these students, they would then start to act up or sometimes cry or even go in a corner. uh,
1: I've never had one who cried. I've never Um, had one who cried.
2: (laughs) Oh, you should start teaching very young learners. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. On the other hand, my main problem, those children, those students who would like to get the attention, I have now learned how to cope with their situation with uh, giving them the attention, but making them also responsible. For some tasks. Mm. So for instance, uh, when I see that there is one student who wants to get a lot of attention more than their peers, I go to them and I try to uh, task them with uh, observing their friends' work as soon as they're finished, if they don't want to do that. Or I ask them to sit next to me sometimes, especially for very young learners. I ask them to sit next mm-hmm. to me and I give them the flashcard to hold up. Or I ask them to give the flashcard to another person. That uh, is not very difficult for me today. My main issue is with uh, neurodivergent students mainstreamed into regular classes, uh, especially because uh, those students with uh, ADHD or any other uh, issues, uh, their parents, uh, do not want to accept that maybe uh, their children needs more uh, care and uh, assistance right so, right uh, they don't want to accept this because usually such uh, issues unfortunately carry a, a stigma in in the culture yeah so,
1: but everywhere I guess, really I think yeah I think because... in,
2: the, in the West uh, it has uh, started to be more accepted and more uh, professionally dealt with but mm. here not not as much so I find myself very terribly helpless with those students who cannot really establish any kind of relationship with either me or their peers or they never want to take part in the activities not because the activities are not interesting because I always again try to have a variety of games and activities that would uh, accommodate various preferences but those are students you can obviously tell that uh, they are they don't see themselves as a member of this community and I honestly feel horrible when I walk out of that class and I know that I didn't do anything for that one individual student
1: right you feel like you failed them yes.
2: yeah yeah parents I felt them and their parents
1: mm. I mean the difficulty also sometimes is that we have all this diversity. Okay, I'm just going to call it diversity. We have all this diversity in our class. Every learner is different. I mean, that that is going a bit far because sometimes I do have, you know, a group of students that 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 are the same personality and they work well together. But in general, yes, we will never have a class of thirty where every single student learns the same way and and you know absorbs the topic the way we teach it. So we'll always have this diversity and. Sometimes, I I mean, in in the West, we've come quite a long way in identifying, you know, the reasons behind, you know, certain behaviors, Mm -hmm. Um, though, at the same time, sometimes things like this go unchecked, unnoticed, you know, people will just say, Oh, that's just, you know, he's just a rowdy child, or he's always been rambunctious, yeah. since he was y- y- younger. And then you have also in some places, you have the stigma that's attached to that. and And in some cultures, you you have that expectation that if you're in class, this is how you behave, you sit at your desk, and you don't walk around, and whatever the teacher says, you just nod and say yes. Right, yeah. um, so that's very difficult for for someone who's who's teaching large classes because what you end up is with all these different personalities and and right. sometimes it can get very frustrating if you want to get ahead with the material. Um, you talk about you know this distracting students and those who kind of shake up everything in class. Mm. Do you have, uh, do you have, or oh, No, that's a bad question. I'll reformulate it. What do you do with the student who just doesn't pay attention, who just keeps talking while you're talking? You know, you've got a class of 30 and and in the back row in the corner somewhere, you've got three or four who are perpetually whispering to each other. Yeah. Do you have
7: that? Uh, Do you have that in Vietnam? I I have that a lot. Oh,
2: I do, I do. Yeah, we do. We do uh, have all of those uh, students, maybe not as many as you Mm -hmm. uh, see in, the West, but yes, uh, especially in langu- private language centers compared to the public, public school, because oftentimes their own regular uh, teachers also somewhere in the back. They try to behave themselves more, okay. more often than the language center. But uh, what I do with uh, those students is that uh, actually, there are a couple of things that I do. Sometimes at the beginning of the term, uh, we establish some rules and routines, mm-hmm. and there are oftentimes two uh, things that I do to set up these expectations. Number one uh, is a video, is a funny video of Minions, <laughs> where, All right. uh, where uh, they uh, show a number of very respectable, uh, interesting classroom <laughs> rules, and right just love it number okay two, something that i learned in a webinar again a couple of months ago is to ask the students at the beginning of the term to define uh, a very good characteristic of a classmate
1: who
7: Ah.
2: Like a, an amazing class so everybody would write it down i would walk around uh, collect their answers put them on the board and then we all together would make a contract And students would have to follow. So those students who continuously talk and not pay attention, I sometimes go close to them. uh, And just this is enough for them to understand that, okay, the teacher uh, is around, so I should start to uh, settle down. Sometimes I write something, an individual feedback for them, Mm -hmm. and then before they leave the class, I give it to them, but very, very carefully worded. So nothing threatening, nothing. I only try to uh, motivate them. And interestingly, it usually works. For example, I write, uh, Peter, uh, mm-hmm. I know you are uh, a very good student. I can help can help many of your classmates, but if you keep talking, you cannot help those classmates. And uh, I cannot do it all by myself, something like that. And yeah, uh, all of these things, uh, can be very, very uh, helpful. The only thing that I said (laughs) is uh, I yet need to find uh, an effective tool or technique to engage uh, those students who cannot uh, and do not want to take part in activities at all, not because they don't like the task, Mm -hmm. because they cannot uh, resonate. With what it doesn't know. resonate with them. Right. Right. So right. That is my main struggle uh, these days.
1: Maybe that can be a conversation for a different day. Sure. Yeah. Did you ever have a student who approached you and said they didn't like how you did something in class? like you know you standing around i i had i, I asked because i have two situations i have one that at some point uh one of my classes said to me you know when you come and stand right there right behind us that's creepy <laughs> 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 right but but then again they're 20 years old so you know and they have the language right. for that so they they said oh that's creepy and i said okay i i respect that
2: I um, had this situation not because i'm a perfect teacher because <laughs> Teachers in Vietnam are highly respected and are uh, held in high esteem just because of that. So even if teachers make mistakes, uh, whether linguistically, behaviorally, or in any aspect, students are often very, very considerate and they have been trained and told not to answer back or not to Mm. correct the teacher just because of that. But it's not only (laughs) because I'm a very uh infallible teacher
1: (laughs) yeah it's a shame though because when they said that to me i actually realized that they noticed that i had done that and then we could have a conversation about it as to you know why i did that and on friday um on my way home from work i met one of my students he's also in my friday class and then he had a couple of other classes after that um, but I met him on the bus and he said to me, he said, uh, why are you always picking on me? You know, because I address him a lot in class and I said, well, I don't know if you noticed, but you're always on your phone. <laughs> okay. Right. And, and then, and then we start talking, we started talking and, and I was then able to say to him, I said, look, you know, I know you're, you're, you know, I know you're an adult." in in that respect and and you think you know you've got the freedom to behave as as you wish in class etc etc and i said but i for me personally this is an exam class and it is distracting i said because i see you i said i i can see you and 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 when you're down looking at your phone i have no idea why Um, and then you find something interesting and you show it to the next person and the next person and the next person. I say Mm -hmm. it gets a bit disruptive and and I don't think it's very respectful, you know? So we had a conversation about that and, and we had a laugh, um, but we have to bring this to a close and I'd like to summarize a couple of things that, that I've learned from you, some things I do too. Um, and something that we'd like our listeners to take away with them. The first thing I have is write down what worked i do that you you mentioned you did that um keeping the attention of the learners find ways to do that right um making learning memorable and valuable and and that actually takes skillful planning really mm. on the part of the teacher did i miss anything else what else would you like yeah. to yeah. give our teachers to take away with
2: write down uh what worked or didn't ah uh, uh, yeah both. I think uh, Kanduk, in the end, everything boils down to three things uh, when it comes to teaching young learners. And those three core elements are care, pedagogy, and entertainment. Mm. Now, all of these three are inextricably intertwined in every classroom for younger learners. And for a skillful teacher, they are also uh, seamlessly uh, uh linked to one another but i think something which is relatively inflexible is the order of their significance i Mm -hmm. think that a very very good teacher always starts with care so when you care about your learners about their learning about their well-being then after that you can create a good uh lesson which is the pedagogy part and then you can think about entertaining activities to incorporate within. And I have seen uh, many, many colleagues that uh, distort this order. And to me, that is not a very effective lesson. They go inside the class, they, there is a lot of entertainment. Parents, mm. suspecting parents, see a lot of uh, activities going on and they hear a lot of laughter, but. I know that uh, genuine uh, teaching and care is not uh, uh, taking place there. So yeah, I think uh, at the end, it all boils down to care, and then pedagogy, and at the end, entertainment. Sometimes uh, the proportion of uh, the th- last two can be varied, mm-hmm. but the first one should be definitely, in my experience, always the uh, most uh, important and significant portion.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to go a step further and say, we can actually do that with with all our learners, just the entertainment element, you know, will obviously be need to be targeted towards the age group of our learners, right? I mean, I'm not going to do London bridges falling down with my 21-year-old students, but if I had a group of kindergarten kids, I would probably do that. But, you know, also from what you've told me, I'm going to have to think about whether that's memorable and valuable to them at Mm -hmm. any rate. Um, I also liked, oh, I meant to say, and before we finish, I like what you said with the rules where you said, you know, get them, you know, depending on, on the age of your students, obviously, to get them to say to come up with a list of what makes an ideal classmate, because then they they kind of think about, you know, who they would enjoy, you know, being class with rather than say to them, what do you think are some rules that we should establish? Because how are they, how are they going to know? Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it is going to be a mutual list. They don't have to come up with a list. They can each think of one characteristic in a great classmate. And then you go around and, Pick up the mutual ones and the uh, best answers and put it on the board, and everybody can see that, and everybody agrees on that. And they would interestingly cooperate with you throughout the term because they themselves have come up with these rules and a list of routines. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's okay.
1: We will have a different conversation about something else on a different day, but thank you so much, Amir, for joining us. What time is it now where you are? I hope you're not up too late.
2: No, no, it's 10 past 7 in the evening. And thank you for having me. Uh, I did enjoy every part of it, Kanduk.
1: I love talking to you. Enjoy the rest of your evening and we'll touch base later. Bye, Amir. Bye, 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 bye.